Welcome back to another episode of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teaching and interviews. My goal is to stimulate conversations and thoughts that will lead to positive growth and actions on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Welcome back to another episode of The Sword and the Spirit. We're wrapping up our first season, the next couple of podcasts. We'll begin our second season, probably around mid-August, and that's when we'll start with our interview, our uh, live interviews, and we'll be having some guests on the show and getting them lined up and everything now, and it's going to be a little revamped, a little bit different than what we're used to. I'm also happy to, to announce that in our second season, it will be called the Mars Hill Project, Bringing Christ into the Marketplace. We live in a post-Christian era, and sometimes it's just a little tough wondering how can we reach out and bring the, uh, the gospel of Christ to, to our uh, communities and to the public when there's such rejection of it. And yet the early church managed to get it done. And I don't see us as being any different. I, I was visiting a couple of churches not too long ago. And all I saw was gray hair. And I said, where is the next generation? Why aren't they here? Well, we're going to deal with all of that coming up here in the Mars Hill Project soon. And uh, we'll see what we can do to reach out. So stay tuned. we got some answers coming and some interviews. And it's going to be very exciting. So I'm excited. Uh, for that. All right, without any further ado, let's get into our segments on closing up on the book of Revelation. Okay, welcome back, and we're going to probably wrap this up. This is the uh, heading into the final lap here in the book of Revelations. And let me say this, and you've heard me say it before, this is not an exhaustive study. You say, oh, you didn't go into this, you didn't go into that. That was never my intention. I just wanted to whet the appetite, get you thinking, and maybe bring out a couple of points um, that will be beneficial to you. So this is by no means exhaustive. Uh, I'm sure there are other studies out there that you can do that will bring out other aspects of it. Uh, that's fine. It's okay. Um, but I just wanted to bring out a few points. And this is sort of more of an overview of an actual like, detailed verse-by-verse uh, study in the book of Revelations. So I just wanted to bring out certain things to you. Now, last time we had started dealing with the woman who rides the beast. We talked about corrupt government. And let me say this. I don't care what kind of government you have. I don't care if it's socialist, communist, dictatorship, monarchy, republic, democracy, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't matter. Governments fail not because of the form of government they have. Because, by the way, the kingdom of God is a monarchy. We have Jesus as king, right? It's a dictatorship because Christ is going to make all the decisions, and that's going to be it. There'll be, there's no debate here. Once Christ makes his decision, that's it. Our portion is obedience. Well, that's a dictatorship. But why will that government work? Because the dictator... The monarch is good. He's righteous, he's true, he's just. He always does what is right and what is best. 
uh, for everyone. So, yeah, it's not the form of government. It's governments fail because of human corruption. Even in a democracy, we see ours now uh, failing because of human corruption. So it doesn't really matter. You know, republic, yes, I like the idea of a republic with democratic aims. I love it, constitutional, whatever, a republic or whatever you want to call us. But if, the, if, if one party is corrupt, then there you go. It doesn't matter. So you got half of it. One half is good, the other half is corrupt. Or maybe both of them are corrupt. But when corruption comes in, same thing with the media, when corruption comes in, it's a wrap. And then governments and nations begin to fail. And it doesn't matter who you vote for. Uh, in terms of if, if, if the candidates are corrupt, then it doesn't matter. So even if you vote for the less corrupt one, it's just a matter of time. I saw the movie The Forever Purge yesterday, and it so reflected where we are right now uh, in this country. So you might want to take a look at that and think about some stuff. All right. And then I talked about, started talking about corrupt church. And I want to take a little bit more about that. Because the, the seven-headed dragon, that shows you that within every nation, the devil has been able to corrupt them. And, and through those nations, even this one, the devil has fought the church. And either he's fighting it through persecution or infiltrating the church through corruption. Here in America, it's not persecution, right? Because we have a government that doesn't um, allow for that. So the ne enemy's next trick is to infiltrate and to dilute and deceive. So I read this quote from you last time from Christless Christianity, the alternative gospel of the American church by Michael Horton. And he gives a quote from Donald Gray Barnhouse. And I'm going to read it to you again. And then I'm going to continue on along those lines. And then we'll talk a little bit about Revelation 18, where it talks about the fall of Babylon, the world's corrupt economic systems. Now, whether Babylon will be an actual city, uh, that I don't know. Um, and sometimes God gives, like he called Jerusalem, Sodom, and Gomorrah. So Babylon is a concept, I'm pretty sure, of, of a city. Uh, our Rastafarians used to call, call New York City Babylon. And you think of it, Wall Street's right there. The world's economy is all tied to Wall Street. Now, I know now you have the NASDAQ and the Nikkei and you have the European Union. But these are add-ons. The leader of the world at one time was just Wall Street. So... Uh, that's not to say it's just going to be things are just going to happen in New York. It could happen in Hong Kong and and Tokyo and and globally. I think this is going to be something global. But again, if you have a different point of view, it's okay. It's okay because it's not everything's not necessarily spelled out. But let me digress here for a minute and go back to this quotation from Michael Horton of where he's quoting uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse. Um, and he says, what would things look like if Satan really took control of a city? And then he talks about uh, Donald Ray Barnhouse made that, uh, made that assessment. Uh, offered his own scenario in his weekly sermon. Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over Philadelphia... For example, that's where his church was at, uh, in uh, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philly. It's a good church. I've been there. If you're in Philly, visit it. Uh, you'll hear some good gospel preaching there. But if the devil took over Philadelphia, all the bars would be closed, pornography banished, and pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. Children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full 
every Sunday where Christ is not preached. Now, we know the devil likes to do all those horrible, evil things we just read there a minute ago. But when he can't do it, but his great, that's not his greatest trick, because those things are obvious, right? Uh, prostitution, drugs, crime. Okay, you, uh, clearly you can see this is the work of the devil. But when it comes to religion, and remember how the devil's a master of religion. That's his thing. And that's really what he wants, is worship. And I read that to you last time in, in Isaiah 14. The, the five I wills, I will ascend, I will be like the most high, I will put my throne above the clouds of heaven, I will do this, I will do that. That I will, that's original sin. When you want to call it pride or self-will. It's a will that's disconnected from God, that God's will doesn't really matter anymore. It's I will. And in a sense, you can make a case and say that's free will. That's where free will will get you. I will, I will, I will, I, 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 I. I knew a guy like that one time. They used to call him the portable personal program, po per personal portable pronoun. Because his thing was, I am the fastest. Nobody can beat me. Um, pronoun, I, me, and my, you know. My way is the best. I alone. I alone can save. When you get get leery, when you hear people say "I alone," and I'm the only one that can do this. Nobody else can. That's not good. You know, you know, you know those people who think they're indispensable. They can't fire me. Nobody else can do this. And then they're shocked when they get fired, and somebody else comes in and does it. Listen, I don't deceive yourself. I know for one thing, once I'm gone off the scene and God takes me out of here, there's a there's hundred more people who can come along and do this better than I can. In fact, they're probably already around in existence and doing some things as well. So never get so big-headed you think you alone uh, know everything. And so you have to, you want to take a look at that. But self-will, that's the root of all sin, is self-will. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, and here it is, number one, I will ascend to heaven. So now the devil's not satisfied whatever position he was in. When he says he's ascended to heaven, he wants to go up there where... By God's throne. That's what he wants to do. I'm going to go up to heaven. Above the stars of God. I'm going to go above all the other angels. I want to be exalted. I want to be the top angel here. I will set my throne on high. Now he wants a throne. Only God has a throne. But okay, he wants a throne. So you, evidently you're setting up your own kingdom. So now whereas we had one kingdom. Now we have two. I will set my throne on high. Here's the second eye. Third eye, I mean. I will sit on the mountain of assembly in the far reaches of the north. So he wants to sit over there with the elders and all the important people. He's going to remove all those other individuals or replace them. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Okay, putting himself above the saints who are reigning with Christ. And I will make myself like the Most High. In other words, he's going to set up his own kingdom where he is worshipped. And then he'll be set up just like the Most High God. Self-will. Now we look at that and say, oh, that's terrible. Well, you got the same problem down here with us. Humanity has followed in the devil's footsteps. Self-will. Read the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to what? His own way. I will. I, me, and my. Self-will. A will divorced from the will of God. That's the city of man. 
good book you might want to read is what St. Augustine called The City of God. And in the city of man, self-will rules. Everybody does what they want. I was driving my car the other day and I was demonstrating to my daughter, I was telling her, I said, you want to see human selfishness. You want to see what it looks, how, how, what it looks like and how dangerous it can be. Watch how people drive because people drive for themselves. Nobody's looking out for the other guy. Few people are defensive drivers. Some people are just aggressive. It's about me. I have to be first. They're not looking to see the situation on the road that's being set up for a major pileup of cars or accidents. I see your signal. I see you want to come over, but I'm not going to slow down and let you in just in case you want to get in front of me because I am not going to let you pass. In fact, I'm not going to let you pass. I'm going to speed up. Now, you just want to get off the exit. You don't want to get in front of them. And you're hoping they'll slow down or pass you so that you can get off the exit and you don't miss your exit. Nope. They're going to ride next to you or, or, or somehow do something to make sure that you don't get in front of them because that's all they're thinking about is that you want to get in front of them and they have to be first. And next thing you know, you're in a situation where you've got to make a hard choice uh, to get off of the exit, which most of the time will result in an accident. Okay, so that's definitely not good. Definitely not good. And this is what happens when you want to see human selfishness. This is what we are. We live for ourselves, looking out for number one, me first, etc. Whereas in the city of God, it's about putting God's priorities first, even before my own, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And, and again, I'm not talking about letting people take advantage of you. You can stand up for yourself if something's wrong. But I, what I'm talking about is driving or living in such a way, your life in such a way, is that it's not all about you and that you're considerate of other people and that you think things through about other people's feelings, etc., before you go off uh, crazy. But... The devil doesn't care what kind of religion you practice. And I'm dealing with Christianity here. Uh, as long as Christ is not preached, you don't care if you have church, you can, you can deliver shiver, you can jump, you can shout, you can have a grand old time in church. As long as Christ is not preached and Christ is not worshipped. When you read the, the epistles, Paul says we preach Christ. A stumbling block uh, to the Jews and to the Greeks, foolishness. But we preach Christ. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, but I commend ourselves to every man's conscience. So this is what the apostles did. They preached Christ. I saw a video, I posted it in, in on my couple of my groups on Facebook, and uh one of the things that I that I that I put in there was uh, that I saw in the video was a guy was preaching. This guy was preaching the gospel. He was out there preaching the gospel, and I've never seen, or I haven't seen in years that amount of people just cursed him out. People telling him to shut up, go away. They wanted to take the mic. They wanted to curse him out. Um, you know, I want to say something. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um. But that's what happens when you preach the gospel. You stir the devil up and, you know, he doesn't like it. So, that's the city of God as opposed to the city of man. Now, to further on in the book, Michael Horton mentions, and yes, it's one of my favorite authors, but actually, if you want to know who my favorite author is, it's A.W. Tozer. But okay, I like Michael Horton a lot. In order to push us off point, in order to push us off point, it's a quote from the book, uh, Crisis Christianity. In order to push us off point, all that Satan has to do is throw several spiritual fads. Spiritual fads, moral and political crusades, and other relevant 
operations into our field of vision, focusing the conversation on us. And that's what the devil does. We'll focus the conversation on us, our desires, our needs, our feelings, our experiences, our activity, and aspirations will energize us. At last, now we're talking about something practical and relevant because it's about me. So now I'm happy. Finally, I found the church. You hear that all the time. People say, well, you know, that church is not meeting my needs. The church is not meeting my... Church, by the way, is not for meeting your needs. That's not its primary function. Those are... That's not even a secondary. It's a third and dairy, if there is such a thing. Third or fourth and dairy uh, function of the church. The primary purpose of the church is the ingathering of the believers for worship. And worship goes in one direction to God. It's it ain't got nothing to do with you other than you're there to worship God. All your attention is on him. Your little phone bills at home and bad news and wayward children. All that's put to the side as much as is humanly possible. And you're focusing on him. We should sing that song, forget about yourself and concentrate on him and worship him. But people leave the church because it, they, they, none of these things were happening. It's got to be about us. And spiritual fads. Those are the two things I'm going to talk about. Services that are focused on us and spiritual fads. How we get entangled in the, in the craziness. And so I'm going to give you a few terms or cliches. And that's another thing, that one of my things that I talk about. Cliches. Things that have just become cliche in the church. We just say it. And it's kind of expected we respond a certain way. Now, now it's okay to have some rituals and some, uh, what do they call those things again? Uh, we used to attack the... The Pentecostals used to beat up the Episcopal Church. Oh, they're reading out of a book, you know, then prayer books and this, that, liturgy. Hey, that's the world. It's okay to have some liturgy. Liturgy is not a bad thing. But Pentecostal churches have their own liturgy in the form of a cliche, of cliches. Uh, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. You know, those, those are all cliches. You know, I'm blessed and highly favored, cliche. That, that's as good as liturgy. In fact, liturgy is actually better than that because liturgy is... is is scripture and biblical. I, if you ever get a chance, get it from those liturgical books and read through some of that stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, this is all biblical. I know a person who got born again sitting in an Anglican church and they were reading the liturgy and God spoke to her in the liturgy. You know why? Because liturgy is just scripture. Same thing with the hymns. We did, we, we, we've thrown the hymns out. But the hymns are chock full of, of doctrine and good teaching. Now, some hymns are really bad. Some hymns never should have been written. But the majority of them are good. And But now we've discarded them and we're singing these little light, dumbed-down songs. Like, oh, these songs are really dumbed down. There's, no, there's nothing there to teach people the Word of God. And when you're teaching people who aren't literate, hymns are the best way to do it. Yes, you could. I'm not talking about the, 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 the genre of music. You can modernize them. But I'm talking about the lyrics. Just use the same words. But you can put it to a modern tune if you want. I'm not against contemporary music. I had my own contemporary Christian music show back in the day when it wasn't popular on the radio. And um, so I'm good with that. I'm just simply saying, give me some good liturgy and some good Bible teaching in our songs. Amen. All right, so let's take a look here at some of the uh, things that I consider to be cliche or forms of Christianity that I think are de have become detrimental to uh, the Western faith. And this is not all of it. There's a lot more. I'm pretty sure you can think of some things yourself. And this is not to be critical of people. Please, if you go to church and you see this going on, don't, you know, don't start a, a civil war in the church over it. This is just to make you aware of it and of what you may be doing. Just like I'm, I need to be aware of what I may be doing. 
Um, and hopefully we can personally practice our faith a little bit better than we have been. Um, but you're not going to find the perfect church. And it doesn't matter. I can teach this. It doesn't matter. People are going to still do it anyway. So, But this is for those who have an ear to hear. Those who really are want to... As a, here's a cliche, want to go to the next level. That's cliche. Um, I'm trying to help you out here. That's all. But please don't start a civil war in your church. All right. Uh, sow a seed. Sow a seed. I hear that all the time. Especially when it comes time for offering. They want you to sow seeds and and they quote scriptures about sowing seeds and and uh, you know, I know the history of sowing seeds. I know where it came from and what preacher started it. And he allegedly, God showed it to him. And maybe he did. Okay. But the problem that I find with using the term sowing seed is that every time a scripture in the Bible is brought up about sowing seed, it's always dealing with money. But if you read the parable of the sower who went forth to sow, because they all oh, sow seed in good ground. This church is good ground. Put your seed here and you drop your seed in here and God's going to, you know, 30, 40, 60, 100 fold. And, it's, and they tie it to money. No. There's nothing in the 13th chapter of Matthew of the parable of the sower and the soils. In fact, all the parables that Jesus gave about sowing, none of it, literally none of it had anything to do with money. It had everything to do with evangelism and the response of people to the words of the evangelist. That's what he was doing. The, the 13th chapter of, of Matthew is about false or counterfeit conversion. Counterfeit conversions as opposed to genuine conversions. That's what it's about. It has nothing to do with money. But yet they tell you, sow a seed, sow this, sow that, sow into this ministry. And God will bless you, blah, 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 blah. And I'm saying to myself, okay. Uh, and then they go back to it. Now, that's fine when they say that. If they just want to use that as a metaphor, I get it. But what makes it not good is when people go back to the Bible and they read every, they read the word soul and they think right away it must be about money. And it isn't. It's about the harvesting and sowing of the gospel, the word of God preaching the gospel, and the harvesting is the harvesting of souls, bringing into God's kingdom. Not a harvest for you personally in your bank account. It has literally zero zip, nada, nothing to do with your bank account. So please, don't read that into the scriptures. Uh, you don't want to do that. Nothing to do with your money. Next one that's become cliche is the worship experience. You want to have a worship experience. Now, what people generally want to do, and I, I just love this. This is one that gets me. Everybody wants to have the Shekinah glory in the service. They want the Shekinah glory to come down. Okay. That's when God comes in his power. You know, the lightning, the thunder, the, you know, all that stuff you see going on in heaven. And I'm saying to myself, these people really want this. I remember one time I was at the altar praying. It was at a, I think it was at an all-night prayer. And I guess I, was, I decided I was being real deep because I'm asking the Holy Spirit, breathe on me, Holy Spirit, breathe on me, breathe on me, Holy Spirit. Whatever that means. Another cliche. And my pastor very wisely said to me, son, if the Holy Spirit breathes on you, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Now, if your kind of glory shows up in a church on a Sunday morning, I promise you. Well, first of all, a lot of people are going to drop dead. That's the first thing. It'll kill it because, you know, God coming in that kind of power, people are going to die. You can't stand in that kind of presence. When, 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 when they dedicated the Temple of Solomon, and they dedicated it to the Lord, the, one the, Sol the Temple that Solomon built, it wasn't his temple, it was God's house. But when they dedicated it, it said when the glory of God came in it, the priest could not go inside. Even the high priest. You know why? Anybody went in there was going to die. They weren't coming back out. It was a one-way trip. When God came down on the mountain 
to, to, to commune with the people. Folk freaked out. They told Moses, I said, tell you what, Moses, you just, you know what, why don't you just go up there and talk to him yourself and then come back down here because they couldn't handle it. I don't know why we think we can handle Shekinah glory. We can't handle it. But we, that's the worship experience everybody wants. So if God came down, showed up in a service like that, uh, there would be, aside from probably killing everybody in the church, and I mean from the pulpit to the door, there's none righteous, no, not one. So everybody would be killed. And, and if for some miracle you happen to live, you know, I don't know, you shut your eyes like Indiana Jones or something or ran out the door, I don't know. If by some miracle God just had mercy, you happen to live. The sheer terror that would overtake you. You won't be having, it won't be shouts of joy. But the positive side of it is, we would be like Isaiah. Everybody that ever saw God in the Bible, uh, on any on that higher level, they all recognized their own sin. And these were righteous men. Job, and we know God can't lie, right? So if God said Job is a righteous man who hates evil, and God held him up to the devil as an example of of uh, somebody that he acknowledges as a good man and as a righteous man. God can't lie. That's what Job was. Uh, of course, it was, obviously was by human standards, but he was good. Later on in the book of Job, when Job starts praying to God and then God answers him, after God pretty much gives him, a, I call it a mild rebuke. It wasn't a strong rebuke, but it was a mild rebuke because it could have been worse. But after God sets him straight on some areas that he was wrong in, some things he was saying that were incorrect. Now, saying something incorrect and cursing God is two different things. He never cursed God. He did not do that. He did not do that. But he did say some things perhaps he shouldn't have said. But there was no cursing of God and no turning his back on God. And he questioned God. Fair enough, all this stuff is happening to me. Of course I'm going to ask questions. But then God says, all right, you have the right to ask questions. Good. But now here's my answer. I don't have to explain anything to you. How's that? Job said, after God set him straight, Job said, I have heard about you with the hearing of my ears. But now that my eyes see you, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I abhor my, I hate myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Because God's holiness, God's magnificence exposes all the corruption. If there's any corruption in you, you'll see it. It'll be clear as day. And you'll be like, oh my goodness, I am so not worthy. When Peter took in the first drought of fishes, Jesus said, you know, cast your net on the right side. And they pulled in the, the, the drought, the fish, and the nets were breaking. They had to call their other fishermen to come and help them gather in the fish. So that Christ didn't just feed the apostles. He, he, he fed the other fishermen that were there as well, got some of that. Peter recognized this is a holy man. He jumps out the boat and says, leave me for I'm a sinful man. He saw Christ. He saw something. He said, this is not a normal guy here. And then he said, I am a sinful man. He recognized his own sin. After Daniel had the vision and he saw the glorified Christ, he saw the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man come for his coronation before the Ancient of Days. Daniel said, all my comeliness, and Daniel was a righteous man. There ain't no question about that. Straight up. He's as good as they get. And Daniel said, all my corruption, all my comeliness, all my comeliness, all my beauty, all my holiness, all my goodness, he said, was turned to corruption. Turned to corruption. And we all know what happened to Isaiah. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord seated upon a throne high and lifted up. And when Isaiah saw Christ, saw God high and lifted up, 
He says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's the sixth chapter of Isaiah. The Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the Apostle of love, when he saw the glorified Christ, eyes like flames of fire, feet like burnished bronze, hair white like wool, face shining like the sun in its strength, he said, I fell at his feet as though dead. But yet folk want to have the worship experience. And then some of these services go out of the way. They have smoke machines. You know, trying to say, oh, let's see the smoke fill the temple and the smoke. Now, I kind of get it in the sense of theatrics and theater can be good in a sense to give people a sense of what it might be like. But actuality, the problem is that we cannot replicate that genuine Shekinah glory. I don't care how many smoke machines you're bringing in, how much lights you flash, and how much sound effects you have with thunder and pyrotechnics. You're not going to duplicate what's going on in heaven. Not even close. But okay, if you're doing a theater production or something, I understand. All right, let's, 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 we'll go with that, you know. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Cool. But that's theater. We're just trying to create a feeling, get people a sense. I get it. But that's not what the worship experience should be about in terms of Sunday morning service and worship services. If you're putting on a program and a show, good, go for it. But I don't want that. That's not necess- that won't be necessary in the Sunday morning service to try to get people this, whatever it is, worship experience. And by the way, once you do that, you have to keep on doing it. Because people are not going to go back to the way it was. So good luck with that. And every time you have something new, you're going to have to keep on adding on new things. Because when you stop adding on new things, um, then, you know, people are going to get tired of it. This is pop culture, saints. This is pop culture. Pop culture is the Supremes were the hottest female group in the 60s. But now Destiny's Child and and T and uh, and other groups have surpassed other female groups have surpassed them. That's pop culture. So if you get in my car and I'm playing uh, "Can't Hurry Love" by the Supremes, and my kids are gonna look at me like, "Man, you're old." You know, nobody listens to that anymore. Okay, they want to hear something more modern. Am I going to try to name anybody modern? Because I probably will. I'll still be late on that, too. Okay. That's pop culture, though. And even in the Christian music industry, the downside is that we've come into pop culture. So a worship song is popular today, but it's not popular tomorrow. And again... The hymns in the church were the standard. You know, everybody talks about unity. Okay, the one unifying thing that we had in the church here in the West was the hymns. I can go to an Episcopal church, an Anglican church, which is the Episcopal church. I can go to a Presbyterian church. If I went to a Baptist church, even a Pentecostal church, most of the hymns were exactly the same. So at least I knew I was in a Christian church. Because we were all, at least on Sunday morning, singing the same songs. Now, because of pop culture, everything comes, cycles in. So this song is popular today. It's not, and then, oh, that's old. We're singing something else now. And they, everything keeps going in cycles, going in cycles. And there's no continuity of worship. In heaven, they sang pretty much, at least what the Bible reveals. I'm not going to say they only sang one song because I, I don't know that. But based on the biblical record, there was only one song they sung in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then until you get the redemption of Christ, when Christ redeems the earth, then they sing a new song. And the new song goes from holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty to worthy as a lamb to receive honor, glory, power, riches, and blessing. 
So it implies there's not a lot of continuity. There's no new hit song coming out. And the hymns have stood the test of time and they have, they're rich in Bible teaching. They're rich in Bible teaching. So if you want to learn certain, you know, I memorized the scripture because of the hymns. It wasn't because I opened my Bible and I did some great memorization program. The hymns were so loaded with scripture, it was easy for me to remember it. Because when I try to quote certain scriptures, do you know I'm, I'm doing a tune in my head? I said, remembering the hymn. And then, you know, when you're singing, the, the tune or the beat of the rhythm helps you to remember what you need to say. That's how I memorize a lot of scripture. And I started to grow and understand and learn about a lot of teachings in the Bible. But we're going to say a lot more about the worship experience here when we get to the end. I'm going to uh, we're going to do a little journey through Revelations and talk about worship. And then we'll end the season and then... Uh, I'll be on vacation for a little bit, and then we'll be back with the Mars Hill Project. But the worship experience. The next thing is a blessing. A blessing. For years, I used to have people say, I'm on a blessing. I was like, what the devil is a blessing? Are you blessed this morning? Yeah. I'm like, what? I don't, I don't understand. Nobody could tell me. And I, I would ask people, what's a blessing? And they would just say a blessing. I'm like, I don't understand. Is it a car? Is it something tangible? Is it money? Whatever. Then I realized after a while, it can be any one of those things. A blessing. Anything I like or want to happen. It can be a liver shiver or a monetary blessing. It can be any one of those things. In between, And everything in between can be a blessing. And there's nothing wrong with being blessed. I, you know... Uh, monetary blessing, I have no problem with Holy Ghost handshakes, you, you know. Uh, you give me money, I will not turn it down. And I'm sure if I give you money, you won't turn it down. That's, you know, human nature. So I'm not against that. Or a liver shiver, you know, you felt good and the pastor preached down, brought heaven to earth in his sermon, this, you know. Great. And all those things are good. All those things are good. I'm not opposed to any of those things. Again, um, but again, understanding the weaknesses is that if, if you're in church service and all you're concerned about is a worship experience or a liver shiver or a blessing, that's man-centered because it focuses on you. You're focusing on what you're going to get out of the service. So before you've given God anything, God ain't got nothing yet. And then when you finally do give it to him, you're giving him something, expecting something in return. Like, okay, Lord, I gave you some praise. Where's the blessings? Well, God's looking at your motivation. Is it praise because you love him or is it praise because he's going to bless you? You see what I'm saying? So these are the things that we have to look at. And that's what I mean by man-centered. So sowing a seed is about me. The worship experience is about me. It's about my experience in the worship service. What do I feel? What do I get out of the word? Worship, I, I thought worship was supposed to be for God. I didn't know it was supposed to be for me, but okay. It's for me then. Uh, being blessed. Let's start off here looking at a hymn by A.B. Simpson. I won't read the whole thing. I'll just cherry pick some things in it. But in the hymn by A.B. Simpson, he was the founder of Nyack College. And it's called Once It Was the Blessing, or Himself, as some hymn books has it written. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. Uh, once was busy planning, now it's trustful prayer. Once it was anxious caring, now he has the care. Once it was what I wanted, now what Jesus said. Once I was constant asking, now it's ceaseless praise. Once it was my working, hence his it hence shall be. Once I tried to use him, and now he uses me. 
Great hymn by A.B. Simpson. You won't find modern songs written like that anymore. anymore. Very few people. At any rate, I think the last person who wrote songs on that level, in my humble opinion, was Keith Green. Um, but be that as it may. One of the other areas that the enemy distracts us is politics. If you look at church history, you look at the Crusades, and you see that was one of the greatest blunders of the church when they decided to go back and take the Holy Land and rescue Jerusalem from Islam, which, by the way, wasn't necessary because uh, it failed because it wasn't God's time for Jerusalem. When God has time for Jerusalem and Israel, as you can see, 1948, the nation came back, and there's still more work God is going to do. He's not done yet. But it's going to be in his time. It won't be because of the United States or Patriot missiles posted in uh, protecting Israel. God is her protector. And yes, he may use the United States for a period of time, but ultimately it's going to be God himself. He's going to make a personal appearance and handle his business. And But when he does, the nations are not going to... Well, the saved people will like it. The ones who aren't saved aren't going to like it. But the Crusades show us what happens when we try to use, bring the kingdom of God into the world by military force or political alignment. Military force doesn't work. Now, to, to, to do justice to the church, there was some wrong on the Muslim side as well because they were making incursions into southern Europe, particularly up into Spain and that area, maybe towards France. And they felt like they were being invaded and being, and they saw what happened in North Africa when the Muslims went through there and turned that into Islam, which at one time was Christian, and they didn't want to be changed. Uh, so they decided to defend themselves. Now, self-defense is one thing. Launching the Crusades was a whole other thing. Um, and if you want to read up on one of the really sad stories of the Crusades, you want to, you want to look at the... Um, Look up the Children's Crusades. Google that. And the Crusade, that was really horrible. A lot of small children, teenagers. I think some kids were as young as nine, ten years old, whatever. Maybe even younger. Well, long story short, they all died on the most of them. No, they didn't all die. But most of them died from, on, the, on the march down there from either starvation or, or disease. And the ones that did live were probably slaughtered by the Muslims. Because they were children. They weren't, you know, adults, you know. Sent a five-year-old into combat. I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Uh, but the Children's Crusade was was didn't turn out well. Um, yeah, so another good movie you might want to see on the Crusades is um, Kingdom of God. It's a movie called The Kingdom of God. And I believe that the... I think the, it was either the Christians had taken some parts of Jerusalem and the Muslims were laying siege on them or vice versa. Either way, the Christians lost. Uh, that's right. Spoiler alert. But it's a good movie. Watch it anyway. You, you, you'll see what I'm... It'll give you a, a sense of historical context of what what to look at in those terms. Um, yeah. So, the Crusades, bad idea. And, and, and what we're doing today in America politically is no different than the Crusades, in, in my estimation, uh, by political alignment. I read a, I used to read this one author, a Christian philosopher, author, loved his books. I, he talked about the demise of the Western civilization, and he was right on a lot of points. He was really good. But where I disagree with him is when he said conservative, when he equated conservatism and Christianity as one and the same thing. And I never agreed with that, ever, at any point in my Christian life. Um, the conservatism, conservatism is not Christian, uh, any more than being liberal is, 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 uh, is Christian. Neither one of those two things, conservative or liberal is, is not Christian. Christianity stands apart and alone from those things. Like I cannot, and I will not align myself with any political party or with any particular candidate. Yes, as Christians vote, vote who you think will best run the country and vote, you know, who you think is, is going to do something in the interest of everyone, not just Christians. It has to be in everybody's interest. Um, and you do the best you can. 
People say, oh, well, you're, you're voting for the lesser of two evils. Well, yeah, you are. Uh, people say that you're not. I'm not voting for the lesser of two evils. I'm not going to vote at all. Well, that's your prerogative as well. That, that's your business. But if you do vote, you're, you are voting for the lesser of two evils because you, all human beings are corrupt. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter. Uh, just, you know, the liberals have some things that are biblical. The liberals have some things that are unbiblical. The conservatives have some things that are biblical, the and the liberals have and the conservatives have some things that are unbiblical. So either way you go, you're going to end up with some type of corruption. What are you going to do, right? But my argument here is, let's not turn on each other. If your Christian brother voted as a Democrat, he's not condemned to hell. God is not going to kill him. Doesn't mean he supports abortion. Abortion is not the only issue. There are multiple issues and there's layers of complexity underneath these political races. And, 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 and there, are, there are communities that are trying to vote in ways that are beneficial to their community. So we can't make abortion the be-all, end-all of everything. There are a lot of other things and other issues to, to, to look at that are just as important to God as others. And I'll say some more of that in the next uh, podcast. Um, now, having said that, we don't want to end up like the purge, where Christians are tearing each other apart. But I see Christians right now, you know, accusing each other of of, of being the antichrist. You know, one Christian took the vaccine. You know, uh, he got his shot. He took the mark of the beast. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast, people. And it's not the, uh, the be-all, end-all of the world. If you want to take the vaccine, fine, that's your business. If you don't want to take it, that's your business. Either way, we don't need to be fighting each other on this. We need to be coming together and preaching the gospel. That Some of these things let everybody make their, their own mind, their own decision, what they want to do for their, whatever reasons they have. But as believers, we need to be preaching the gospel and winning souls for Christ. And being united on that front. Because the enemy will use these things to drive wedges against into us. And then each one will be accusing. I mean, it's gotten to the point where some Christians don't even think the other one is saved. Because of who they voted for. You can't possibly be a Christian and vote for this guy. And the other guy is a Christian looking. He's thinking the same thing. How could you be a Christian and vote for him? So, you know, we can do this all day. But we've got to refocus on the gospel. I fellowship with Christian brothers who don't hold my political views. I fellowship with Christian brothers who voted for somebody that I thought should not have been voted for and vice versa. They probably think I shouldn't have voted for who I voted for. But I will not and I cannot allow that for me to disqualify them as my Christian brothers. And we have to learn to see it, hear it, and then move on. Grow up. No government on this earth is perfect anyway. So, you know, you have to, it comes a time where you just simply have to move on. But you are not going to preach the gospel by military force or political uh, alignment. None of that's going to help us. It just helps us to live a better life, an easier, quieter, simpler life while we're here on earth. We try to have as much peace as we possibly can, right? Jesus said, work while it's day because the night comes when no man can work. All right, now let's go to the last 10 minutes we have here. Revelation 18, the fall of Babylon. The economic systems of the world. In the end of days, God is going to collapse the economic systems of the world. So in bringing judgment on the earth, God's going to judge the political systems, including the United States. We're not going to be left out. And it doesn't matter who's the president. And it won't be the Democrats' fault. And it won't be the Republicans' fault. It'll be, the, it'll be just the time for God to, to start harvesting. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with who you put in office. Okay, there's a determination and every nation is going to be judged, including this one. And God's going to take the entire world down because to make room and make way for God's kingdom. God's kingdom is going to replace the United States. God's kingdom is going to replace Spain, France, all the nations of the world. The kingdom of God is going to replace all of this. So we're going to get that world of righteousness and, and good living, but it's not going to be here. Here in the United States, we do the best we can, but that's it. And we do not divide ourselves because of who somebody voted for, who somebody didn't vote for. I do not align myself with any particular political group. 
But when I do see sin, I'll call it out. And I will speak truth to power, no matter who it is or what party affiliation, no matter what movement it is. When it's sin, we call it. Just that simple. And then God's going to go after the economic systems of the world that are going to collapse. Now, I know right now it looks like we're living in, the, in that time like it's happening right now. When you see the fires out in California, it's a good book by, um, I read it years ago. It's a thin book, very easy reading. You might have to get it on eBay. I don't even think it's in print anymore. It was uh, by this gentleman, Arthur Bloomfield. And it was called climate, uh, The Changing Climate. And in fact, I'm, I'm going to read on... I, I got a copy of it here. I'm going to read up on it again. And then I'll probably share some stuff with, uh, on here. But he was talking about... Climate. This was a Christian talking about climate. That's another big issue. Oh, climate change is fake. It's not really... Okay. Whatever. All we know is that the climate is going haywire. Regardless of whether you think it's man-made or just natural earth doing what the earth does every so many thousands of years or whatever however you put it something's going on record temperatures hot heat in the in the 100 plus 120 that kind of stuff um every year seems to be getting hotter and hotter we got the the fires that are burning out of control in california melting polar ice caps uh which will raise the sea levels, which means if you're in a small island, you're going to have less land to live on. And the coastal areas, are, you know, eventually are going to just be flooded. You know, Florida is just this big, giant sandbar for the most part. From Jacksonville on down, it's pretty much just this big old sandbar. So, and it's below, the state is already below sea level. There are no basements in Florida for that reason. All right, it has a high water table. Okay, so now the, the, the oceans keep rising and it's already under sea level. Well, you know, we may not have a Florida anymore. In California, it's either going to fall into the ground, to the earth, or just burn up, one or the other. Um, and then you see pandemics like COVID-19, whether you think it's a hoax or not, or it's, or it's just the flu, whatever, you, whatever your position is. Um, whether Bill Gates orchestrated it or he didn't orchestrate it, you saw what happened. The economies went in, of the world went, went into a, a tailspin. Now, is this God's way of judging the world? Because Christians are, don't do this, don't do that. Well, how do, you know, how, do you, how do you know God's not the one orchestrating this to make the world shut down, to make the governments do these things? Because he's beginning to, his judgment process. And here, you fighting it, you, you might be fighting God. Anyway, just food for thought. But my point in being saints is that um, we don't, when I look at the world the way it is now, I'm like, you know, if God just leaves the world alone, we'll, we'll eventually just, I, I, it seems like we're just hell-bent on destroying each other. Uh, and, and a classic, and you got to go see the movie, the, 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 the um, uh, the, the last purge, purge movie they just made. It just came out. I saw it yesterday. The Forever Purge. This thing is deep. And it just shows you how we're going to tear ourselves apart. Or if you want to see another good example of that, look at the uh, a Twilight Zone episode called The Monsters Are on Maple Street. And watch how easy it is for conspiracy theories and fear to drive us to rip each other to shreds. I don't trust you, you don't trust me, I'm watching you, you're watching me, you're getting each other the side eye, I accuse you of something, you accuse me of something, next you know knives and guns are out and you and I are locked in mortal combat because we feared each other. We believe something about the other one, fear of the other. And before you know it, it's war. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And the devil just, the devil don't have to do anything. God or the devil don't have to do anything. They sit back and laugh and say, man, this is, this is a, the devil's saying, this is too easy. I just, just all I got to do is get them afraid of each other. And then fear leads to distrust, and then there you go. Civil war. This is insane, people. And the church shouldn't participate in it. I'm saying as Christians, please don't participate in that nonsense. 
uh, we need to get out here and preach the gospel and do what we're supposed what we're supposed to do. That's all we can do, and let God worry about the rest. But I digress. So when you look at the global warming and other things that are going on in the world, it looks like if you read the Book of Revelations, you see the same things the Book of Revelations says was going to happen. And days, it seems like it's pretty much happening right now with the fires and the earth and the, the crops and the weather and 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 the pandemic, the disease and pestilence. And, 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 and then it says in Revelations, and they repented not. And they, re- about three or four times, I think we read in there, they, and they repented not, and they repented not. And yet people are still going on, living their lives, still living the sinful condition that they want to. Calling right wrong and wrong right. Okay, now I don't know if this, I, I think the book of Revelations, in terms of, its, of, of being futuristic, I think it's going to be worse than it is. We think it's bad now. It's when God himself rises, these are just man-made stuff. But I think once God rises up and starts to do it himself, it's going to be, take what you see happening now, multiply it, and it's like God's going to dial it to like a million. Uh, it's going to get dialed up. And uh, you won't have to wonder whether it's God or not. But, I, but a lot of this, I think, is going on is just man-made. Is our own nuttiness and 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 and, and uh, craziness that's going on. Having said that, the economic systems of the world in Revelation eighteen, read it. You see, God brings down the economic systems of the world. These things have to happen. Why are saints fighting it? I don't understand. Why are we looking to a man to be our savior? I don't get it. When in fact, when in fact. When in fact, it's got it's got to happen. So whether we fight it or not, we might be able to prolong it, maybe at best. But it's gonna happen. It's coming. It's coming. Be you ready, therefore. So as we wrap up this podcast, and we see how God is going to bring down the systems of the world and the and the iniquity of the world and all these merchants men and all these commerce that we depend on are going to fail and all these stock markets the the nasdaq the nikkei all are going to come down and this is the devil trying to mess up my podcast here but somebody sending me unnecessary messages yes he keeps coming up well, anyway, that knows I'm on the right track. Every time you hear that in the background, that lets you know I'm on the right track. <laughs> so, as believers, saints of God, let's not get weary well-doing, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and not getting caught up with the world systems. I'm not worried about Bill Gates or Soros or whoever else. By the way, a lot of the attacks on these people are, are and those are anti, when you talk about George Soros, that's an anti-Semitic trope, saying that what you're really saying is Jews run the world, and therefore now you know the Jews are bad people. Well, that's nonsense. Uh, but it doesn't matter whether it's Gates, Soros, or whoever else, the rich men, the mighty men. God's going to disrupt the economic systems and of the world, and they're all going to fall. And in preparation for his return. So our next podcast, we're going to look at the return of Christ. Like I said, I told you it wasn't exhaustive. So there's a lot more we could say. But in the next podcast, we're going to look at the return of Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about the millennium. And then the New Jerusalem. And then I'll be excited because I'll end the season. And we can then move on to the Mars Hill Project. God bless you and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And our next one will be on Return of Christ, Great White Throne Judgment, New Jerusalem, and the Millennium. So we'll be discussing those quite briefly. And then, remember, coming soon, Mars Hill Project with interviews. And we'll be dealing with mon- multiple issues in our, in our new uh, 
post-Christian era and talking with people who are actually doing it as opposed to just giving a bunch of theories. People are actually getting it done who are out there on the front lines. And I also, yes, I'll still be doing some teaching segments as well. On uh, One of the segments I'll be doing is What is the Gospel? We're definitely going to start off with What is the Gospel? And we'll be talking about how God saves people and who does what in salvation because some people are trying to do God's job. And I can't save anyone, but boy, there's a lot of saints that actually try it. And I was like, no wonder why nothing happens. We're not the ones, we're not the saviors. We don't do the saving. So God bless. Thank you for listening. If you want to reach me, rhyd12001 at gmail.com. Or if you would like, you can follow me on Twitter. Let me just pull up my Twitter account here. And on Twitter, I am, let's see here. Here we go. On Twitter, you can reach me at, let's see here. Donald Reimer, and it's uh, at Reimer, R-H-Y-M-E-R, at Reimer, R-H-Y-M-E-R, underscore Donald. And that's my Twitter account, and you can reach me there, or follow me on Twitter. And I really just set it up mainly for for the podcast, so that when my podcast is released, I'm to text people, a million people, I can just send it out on Twitter, and that way everybody can get it, uh, you can get the tweet that my podcast has been released. So God bless you. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening in and looking forward to the upcoming Mars Hill project. God bless.